Amen, amen, amen. Go ahead and be seated, City Light. Good morning. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here, and it's good to be preaching and teaching the Word of God back in this room with these folks. So uh, open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, looking at the verses that were just read, 18 through 22, and I want to preach a message, invited by Jesus, investing like Jesus. Invited by Jesus and investing like Jesus. Today, as we jump into Matthew chapter 4, um, we know that a lot has already happened in this gospel. Jesus was born, but Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger. He's a grown man ready to start his public ministry. And what we're going to see today is his first action before he starts preaching and teaching is he's going to invite a few faithful people that he's going to invest in so they can be entrusted with his ministry and his mission later. That's where we're going. But before we jump in, uh, let me just state the obvious this morning. Um, It is January 13th, 2019. I know that's not epic. I know that's not brand new news for some of you guys. But what that means is we're less than two weeks into a brand new year, okay? And it's during this season, the time of of the year, where we like to look back at 2018. We like to evaluate. We like to ask some questions. How did things go in 2018? And then we like to tell ourselves in 2019, we're going to be more intentional. We're going to be more um, uh, better stewards. We're going to be more serious about some things, don't we? We try to make promises or resolutions as we go into the next year. Here's what some of this self-talk may sound like if you guys aren't recognizing what I'm saying. If you uh, have checked your bank account in 2019, maybe you've had this realization. I know I made money in 2018, but I don't have money in 2019. Has anybody realized that? I don't know where it all went. And then we make this promise to ourselves like, this is going to be the year. We start coupon cutting. Okay, we're going to start budgeting. We're going to get serious about our finances. We are signing up for Dave Ramsey. Okay, and honey, no more Target and throw pillows. No more room for that. Okay, we're going through some things right now in my household. And Maybe in, uh, maybe it worked out like this. For some of you guys, it might also be like you looked in the mirror and you guys realized mom's Christmas cookies are delicious, but they are not calorie free. Okay. The skinny jeans are tight right now. Okay. The love handles are serious and the abs have been lost in action. Okay. So you're wondering, this is going to be the year. Like you get serious in 2019, like no more fast food. I'm cutting out Raisin Cane's. I'm cutting out Chick-fil-A. I can't do it anymore. I'm 35 years old. I've got to make some changes. All right? And you're saying to yourself, this is going to be the year I get more serious. I'm going to join a gym. I'm going to go organic. I'm going keto, no carbs, no sugar, no caffeine, no joy. Okay? We're getting serious. We're getting straight serious this year, all right? And uh, some of you guys, you need to understand, like, where I'm at at life, like, I have this great ambition to get in shape, but then I sneezed, like, a couple weeks ago. I just sneezed, and I pulled a muscle in my back, (laughs) sneezing, so... Like, I, I want to do CrossFit, but if I can't sneeze without injuring myself, like, I'm just going to drink water and stretch, okay? Like, that's my strategy for 2019. So, uh, that, that's where some of us are at this morning. Some of you guys are uh, in this place where you're sore because this year you joined a gym and you already injured yourself because you lifted a weight for the first time in a decade and you pulled a muscle you didn't even know you had, right? And others of you guys now, you're mildly cranky because you cut out sugar and you realize it's just hard to have the joy of the Lord without donuts, okay? Um, that's, that's kind of where we're 
we're at. Now, I, I say that because um, maybe you guys have made those promises, kind of those commitments, those resolutions, but I, I've made all of those like in 2019. I've told myself, this is going to be the year like I finished the book that I started in 2018, you know? I read the first chap- couple chapters, got bored and stopped reading for the entire year, okay? So um, this is going to be the year I get serious about my finances and my fitness, and this is the year I'm going to get more intentional with my relationships, and this is going to be the year that I become a better leader, and I start reading that thing, and I subscribe to that podcast and I joined that thing. And we've all probably said something like that. And I think that's okay, by the way, just so you know, you've got one life to live. You actually should steward your time, energy, and resources to make the best of it, right? But um, one of the questions I asked as I read Matthew chapter four this week was, if if I um, met all of the resolutions, if you and I all of us in this room, we were able to accomplish all of the resolutions that we had for 2019, would it matter in a hundred years? Would anybody who's lost be found? Would anybody who's stuck in sin be set free? Would anyone who's despairing have hope? Would anybody who feels far from God know that they are loved by God and have been invited to be near by God? Would there be baptisms? Would there be renewed marriages? Would lives be changed and would stories be rewritten? Would anything matter? Or would we simply just be a slightly better version of ourselves? A little bit fitter, a little bit richer, a little bit well-read, a little bit better at conversation, a little bit better leaders? Or could God actually use this year, 2019, to do something eternally significant with us as a church and with us as individuals? This morning, as I read this chapter and unpack it, what I want for our church to see is that Jesus has more for you, church, than just to believe in a message called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, good news, at the heart of Christianity is a message that Jesus Christ has accomplished salvation for sinners. That's good news. We believe in that message. We have eternal life and the spirit of God in us, but it gets better. Jesus doesn't just give you a message to believe in. He gives you a mission to participate in. He gives you a a purpose bigger than yourself. He gives you an opportunity to be a part of his redemptive work, not just in your life or in other people's lives, but among the nations that Jesus Christ would be lifted high and he would be glorified. And real people you know would have the joy of knowing Jesus. That's the invitation that Christ has given us. And so I want to look at this text today and, and allow us to reorient our scorecard for 2019. What's on our scorecard? Does it eternally, is it eternally significant and does it really matter to Jesus? And so as we jump in, I want to show you guys, how did Jesus change the world? Jesus changed the world by investing in a few. And so today's big idea, the thing that I want us to catch is simply this. We should have it on the screen. Jesus has called us to be disciples whose aim is to make and mature other disciples of Jesus. That should be our aim. This is the thing that God has called us to, and I want to show you guys that through Scripture, okay? So go ahead, uh, open up your Bibles. If you got your notes, you can follow along. The first thing I want to show you, I want to show you two things, is following Jesus starts with an, um, an undeserved invitation. Following Jesus starts with an undeserved invitation. What we're going to see in this text is that Jesus is going to come on, hang out with some very average people, and he's going to invite them into relationship. He's going to invite them into development. He's going to start to invest in their lives. And when you look at this, this is the son of God, the king of his kingdom, and he's inviting some people that don't really look like they warrant an invitation into this kind of a relationship, into this kind of proximity, into kind of this kind of opportunity. And it's going to show us that Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, is willing to invite the undeserved into relationship. Let me show you guys this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. 
He says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, guys, they drop their nets and start to follow this King Jesus. And um, what we see first is the location. We're at the Sea of Galilee, so let me just take you into some of the geography here. The Sea of Galilee was a, a place that was common in Jesus's ministry. A lot of ministry happens around this area in this region. And uh, one of the things that we see is it, it's 13 miles long, seven miles wild. It's a big oval, okay? It's not so much like a massive sea as it is just like an average-sized lake in the Middle East. Additionally, um, surrounding the borders of this would have been numerous different villages and towns, and none of them were all that significant in size or in economy or even in educational institutes. They were just, honestly, blue-collar fishing villages. The primary economic engine in these areas would have come out of the lake. And so hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fishing boats would have uh, been on this lake. That would have been the primary uh, means of supporting your family and your life. And uh, you have a lot of guys waking up early, jumping on the fishing boat, grabbing their nets, dropping the nets, looking for fish, going back to sea, cleaning their boat, cleaning their nets, selling their, their fish, eating a meal, making a daily living, and doing it all over again. This would have been the context of ministry that Jesus was doing his ministry in, okay? And then you have Jesus. And Jesus, what, what's just happened in Jesus' life? Jesus just came from his baptism, where the very spirit of God, the Father's voice came and affirmed Jesus and said, this is my son who uh, I'm well pleased in, who I love and I'm well pleased in. Additionally, Jesus came out of the desert from being tempted without compromise. And now he's pulling away and he's about to pick his team. And here's the deal. This Jesus knows what's in front of him. This Jesus understands that he's going to preach and herald the very words of God, and there's going to be crowds. Literally thousands of people are going to surround Jesus and press in and learn from Jesus. Additionally, he knows he's going to do some miracles and heal some people to confirm his teaching and his authority, and yet he knows thousands of people are going to be drawn into this story. And Jesus knows how this story will go. There will be big crowds, but his goal the whole time is not popularity or fame or the size of a crowd. His focus is he's going to pull away from all of those things and invest in these few because why? Jesus, after his earthly ministry is accomplished, is going to look at these faithful disciples and say, my mission and my ministry I'm entrusting you with. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you to do. And that is going to be the entrusting of these guys. And so what you see is you've got some common fishermen, and you've got Jesus who's looking to empower some people. Who's going to be the future leaders of the early church? Who's going to be the preachers? Who's going to be the ones who do the ministry? Who's going to be the ones that advance the kingdom of God? Who, what kind of candidate and profile is God looking for? Those are the questions we're asking, and we see it right here. Jesus walks down to the bank of a, a common fishing village, and he says, come follow me. He calls his very first disciples, and here's what's shocking about this, guys. Jesus doesn't call the theologically equipped. He doesn't call the, the one who comes from the military strategy family. He doesn't just call the one with the big bank account. He doesn't call the awesome and the strong. He picks his team in a really unique way. I once was called the captain of my city group um, backyard Olympics team, so we were going to do yard games in the backyard. Do you guys know how I pick my team? I was not trying to play nice, okay? Anybody with college athletic ability or above was the first picked, okay? And so I picked my teams based on strength and performance. Jesus picks his team. 
Praise be to God in a very different manner. He goes and he gets the the average, the ordinary, the uneducated, the simple, the forgotten, the regular, the overlooked. Uh, He goes and gets some blue-collar guys and he says, you're just the kind of people that I want to invite into relationship. And here's what happens, guys. Here's what happens. Not only do these men follow Jesus for two years, but they learn from Jesus and they grow in their likeness of Jesus. And then this guy, Peter. This guy, Peter, is kind of a big deal. He's, we meet him here in Matthew chapter 4, and um, Peter goes on to preach after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus entrusts Peter and these early disciples with his ministry and his message. And Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel boldly in a city called Jerusalem, and 3,000 people in one day believe in Jesus Christ and become Christians. Now, he's went from a dude on a fishing boat. Two years later, he's a megachurch pastor, okay? That's a massive learning curve. Can we acknowledge that? And the religious leaders in Jerusalem are like, what's happening? We just saw Jesus get nailed to a cross. Now, there's 3,000 plus people who are believing in Jesus, worshiping Jesus, serving Jesus. What's going on in the city? And so they go to try to find who's giving leadership to this thing. And in Acts chapter 4, that we figure out what do they have to say about these early disciples. And so I want to read this verse to you guys. Acts chapter 4, verses uh, 13. We'll see it right here. Hold on. Here's what it says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were what? Awesome? From the university. Could spell good. Had nice hair. Wore jean jackets because they had big muscles. Crossfitted regularly. Ate organic. Came from somebody with a lot of money. No, I love this word. They were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized what stood out about these men. Their charisma, their physical appearance, their family name. No, would they recognize that they had been with Jesus? I love this, that these guys are literally astonished. And that's like a a beautiful diagnosis that these guys, these religious leaders who were trained, that did have the theological backing, that did have the position, that did have some power, that did have some means, they show up and say, you've got this big movement of God. And you've got these average dudes with GEDs and uncles named Bubba from Council Bluffs. I mean, these are the kind of men that Jesus is using. It doesn't make sense. They're saying A doesn't equal B. You've got these guys leading this movement. I was expecting somebody who had figured out some strategies or figured out something and was charismatic and well-spoken that was above average. And they were like, you got ordinary, uncommon dudes. And the only thing they've got is they've been around Jesus. Amazing. Guys, this is like my life theme verse, okay? What I'm trying to do here this morning is labor here to show you that Jesus uses the ordinary and the average. And this is really good news for people like me because I literally once failed a class called Succeeding in College. In college. That's not a win. Like the only assignments were show up and journal, and I couldn't do it. I literally could not do it, okay? At that point, Wayne State was trying to give me credits, just like take credits, get off to a good start, get a good grade. I couldn't make it happen. Guys, I I now have my master's degree, just in case you think I've grown my way out of incompetency. Oh, absolutely not. Like, I now have a master's degree, did well, whatever, that's fine. And, And I just want you guys to know, I still don't know where commas go. Like, wherever there's a pause, in a sentence, sometimes I'm like, I'm just going to throw one in there. <laughs> and it drives Gavin crazy. 
And so whenever I'm emailing Gavin, I just throw semicolons in there just to keep it fresh. And he's like, you can't do that. I'm like, I just did. I just did, you know? And so what I love about this is God is in the business of using average, ordinary, simple, uneducated, common people for his glory and for his means. And I want to press this in because there's some of you guys here that your whole life you believed in Jesus. You've been following Jesus for a long time. You trust Jesus. You know he's Savior and Lord. You believe that you have eternal life through the personal work of Jesus Christ. You got it. But there's this reality that you've been paralyzed in your ministry to other people and you lack confidence because you believe this lie that God can save me, but surely he can't use me. Because you think surely the person that God is looking for is smarter and stronger and has a less broken past and a less messy resume and isn't as talkative or is a little bit wiser, has a few more answers, is a little bit smarter, has the theological backing, has the big network. God will surely use that person to build this church. God will surely use that person to make disciples. God will surely use that person to herald the word of God. And I'm saying that God's not looking for that person. God's been looking for available, simple, uneducated, common people who had just simply been in the presence of Jesus. Have you been in the presence of Jesus? Have you been filled with the Spirit of God? Then, man, you're invited to be part of the mission of God. Man, we got to crush all of those restraints we put on ourselves. God, you should use them. God, I'm not the kind of person. Because I look at who Jesus picked, and I think he did it on purpose, so that we would understand thousands of years later that God's looking for just regular people like me and you. Amen? And if Jesus can start a movement that now is impacting billions of people around the world and has swept across every major continent, he used some fishermen that literally in the Bible, it diagnoses their resume as uncommon and uneducated or common and uneducated. I absolutely love that. There's some people that come into City Light. Our story is somewhat unique right now in this generation that we planted a church and by God's grace, this thing has grown. And we're we're a couple thousand people, got to baptize a whole bunch of folks. We got to plant churches and a whole bunch of different cities already and the gospel's going forward. And and sometimes our people are like, hey, I want to learn from you guys. So they literally fly in, get on airplanes and they come and they sit down with Gavin and I and our team and they say, they start to ask us questions. And you know what I love is that oftentimes they literally get back on the airplane disappointed. Because they realize they, that City Light Church has a dude who doesn't know where commas go and another guy from Waverly. Like, there's no secret sauce here. There's none. And praise be to God that this whole thing is built around the name, fame, and glory of Jesus Christ. This is a testimony that God is using weak people among our generation to build up the fame of Jesus Christ. And so if you're wondering, well, you guys figured it out and you got the message and you built the team. No. Like we're stumbling our way through this thing and we are on our face asking God, but Jesus has been committed to advancing his kingdom, changing lives and powerfully using the gospel and real people's stories. Not because we're awesome. Guys, there's so many better pastors out there. I literally had to start a church just to get hired by a church. I mean, that's who you have as a pastor. Okay. (laughs) So how'd you become a pastor? I started my own church. So (laughs) nobody else would hire me. Anyways, I look at this and I say, this is our Jesus, amen? This is our Jesus. And I just want you to understand your story. Your story didn't start with you being strong and awesome and God looking at you and saying, you're the kind of person I want. God saw us as ordinary broken people. He said, I wanna invite you to come follow me. God's the one who invited us into relationship and into a purpose and into a discipleship relationship and it's changed our lives, amen? So I hope you guys see this and you see this Jesus inviting you, come follow me. 
I love you. I have more for you. I forgive you and I want to use you and change your life. Amen. This is our Jesus. He's invited us to follow him and it's changed our lives. So let me show you guys number two. Following Jesus means running after others running after others. The first part is just this invitation that Jesus gives to these disciples. But on the back end of the invitation, you guys are gonna see the invitation is not just to hang out and sing songs or just to learn some theological principles or just to become really good parents and a better version of ourselves. There's actually a mission attached to this invitation. Jesus from day one is saying, we're gonna go somewhere together. So let me show you guys this in verse 19. Here's what he said. And he said to them, follow me and I will, circle this, make you fishers of men. So the first thing I want to show you guys is this word make. And I found it interesting this week as I studied that before Jesus ever calls you and me or the disciples to do something new, he promises us to make us something new. He's going to make us a new creation in Christ Jesus. He's going to make us people who have been forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. People that look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, smell like Jesus, act like Jesus. He's going to make us something new. And this is so big. Because we as disciple makers can't take people to a place we haven't been taken. We can't reproduce what we aren't already are. And so we are always going to reproduce in the lives of those who follow us who we are, not who we want to be. And so Jesus has to make us something new. He has to start on the inside and change and transform us. And then he can work through us to show the personal work of Jesus Christ through us, okay? And so here's what it looks like, these guys. Um, I love that the Bible not only says, I'll make you fishers of men, but we get to, through Scripture, track the story. And just in case you're under the assumption that if you meet Jesus and start to follow Jesus, all of your dysfunction goes away, I love the Bible. Because the Bible keeps it super real about the journey that these guys were on, okay? They never graduated from the school of humility. Like Peter is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he starts to follow Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And we know later he'll be used by God in a massive way to lead the early church. But there's a massive in-between process here where he says some things that are just bad. Like he's the kind of guy that says things and then thinks about it later, okay? And this gives me hope because I'm like Peter. Gavin's like, are you thinking before you're talking? No, I'm, I'm talking and then I'm thinking. That's my problem, okay? And so I've had to work on this. But like Peter, he's just a person in progress. And then you would say, oh, the other disciples are better, but they aren't. They start to argue about which one of them's the greatest and I'm gonna get the seat at the table and I'm gonna be the person of honor and I, I should be the best disciple of all the disciples. And meanwhile, Jesus is saying, guys, you're not the greatest. First of all, if anybody's gonna pull the greatest card, it's me. And yet I'm telling you that the greatest among you comes to serve, not to be served. He has to reorient their whole idea of who's great. And then Jesus is hanging out to the kids and he's doing a family Sunday sermon style, okay? He's got them sitting on their lap, teaching them about God's love. And meanwhile, the disciples come and they break up the kids' party and say, get away from Jesus. I mean, this is a massive fail. Additionally, if you think, okay, they finally get better, at the very end is maybe the biggest fail of all. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows the Romans are coming to arrest him. And he is simply praying to the Father and he invited the disciples, would you pray with me? I'm about to go die on the cross for your sins. It's a big deal. It's not going to be easy. Would you pray with me? They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they fall asleep on Jesus, okay? So a lot of grace for those of you who have fallen asleep during my sermons. I'll let it go. Not the first disciple to make that mistake, but Jesus does know. And they're recorded in scriptures as falling asleep on Jesus. So I'm just saying. Now, so we just see these guys and they stumble their way through. And yet the great news and the good hope is that guys, these guys never get perfect, but they sure do make progress. The spirit of God actually does make them something new. 
Like you see Peter, who was a coward and denied Christ and becomes one of the most courageous preachers of God's word in the entire New Testament. You see these guys leverage their life, make disciples, lead the early church, give everything and ultimately give their very lives to make disciples, to preserve the gospel, to lift high the name and fame of Jesus Christ and their lives matters. Do you guys understand that Jesus did keep his promise? He made them something new and they actually became fishers of men. These guys once, their greatest joy when they woke up in the morning was thinking, hey, I need to catch some fish, make a dollar, eat my next meal. Man, after encountering Jesus, their mission changed said, I want to live for something bigger than just catching fish and and eating another meal. I want to live for the good of other people and the glory of my God, Jesus Christ. And they did it. So I see this and I say, man, this absolutely matters that Jesus would call us to be a people who are fishers of men. And let me just tell you guys why this is personal to me, okay? So this week is uh, just an average week in my life, but um, a couple of things that happened in my life that are unique. So my, we came home from my mom's house on a Christmas celebration and we're driving back in my minivan, hashtag lost my mini car, or man card. I know, I get it. So we're driving home in the minivan and you guys have been there if you're a parent. Your kids are absolutely exhausted. Grandma gave them so much sugar and then sugar to go home with the sugar and they're eating the sugar as they're driving home in the, it's a lot of sugar, okay? And so the kids are exhausted and um, we're in the minivan and we turned on Caleb and I'm, they're not worshiping the Lord. They are now throwing things and in full out rebellion. And so in this moment, I just started singing, what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I need to start worshiping the Lord or I'm going to choke somebody, okay? And, and so I'm worshiping the Lord in the van. Now you guys know why I preach and I don't sing. Willie, you have job security. Um, but, but in that moment, I see my little girl. I hear my little girl who's three years old, Lucy, and she starts piping up. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that night, I said, tuck in my son. I get to, he didn't have school the next day, so I just stayed up late and got to share a little bit of my testimony with my son. This is what God's done in my life. And I go to bed, and my wife, we're in a full and crazy season, guys. We have three little kids, and we decided to do it again. I don't know what the Lord was doing in our lives, but we decided to do it again. So she's pregnant. We're, we're expecting our fourth in like March, which means she's mildly uncomfortable. And we have a lot of kids that don't know how to use the restroom by themselves. And so that's our life. And so I just looked at her and said, honey, honestly, our circumstances are not going to get better. Uh, I don't know if you understand this baby will come. There's no stopping it. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. And yet our only hope is Jesus. And so let's just pray that God would sustain us in this crazy season. And so just got to pray over my wife. Now, um, you, I say, all of that to say that that would not be my story. I wouldn't be your pastor and I wouldn't be a disciple maker in my family and I wouldn't be a godly husband to my wife and I don't do it perfectly, but I'm trying my best. None of that would be my reality had somebody not told me about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Like before I came up here and started being a preacher, I was a lost freshman in college, bent on sin, rebellion to God. I was pursuing the things of this world. I was 18 years old and I was running after all the things that normal people run after when they don't walk with Jesus, okay? And there was a guy named Cameron Siding. Can I tell you about Cameron? This dude means something to me. Cameron, uh, he came to know Christ in college, but his story, he comes from a blue collar family in um, O'Neill, Nebraska, which is in Northeast Nebraska, small community. He was the high school running back. He got the good grades. He went to college and yet um, he had pursued this big name and fame for himself. And he realized it was all for nothing apart from Jesus Christ, bowed a knee to Jesus, came to know Christ in college. And then all of a sudden he's looking around scripture and he's saying, Jesus has called me not just to be forgiven or just to trust in him for my righteousness, but God wants to use 
use me to be a fisher of men. So he says, God, would you use me at Wayne State College, the Harvard of the Midwest, to make disciples? That's, an, that's a, a prayer that God will honor, amen? And so he starts praying, going into his junior year. God, would you use me? Lead me. And he says, I'm going to live on mission to Barry Hall at Wayne State College on that campus. So fresh, I move in as a freshman. Who's the first guy I meet? Cameron Sidek. He's helping me move into my dorm. He's unloading my stuff. He's walking me up to my room. He's making sure I know kind of the way around campus. Additionally, um, he comes back a week later. He says, hey, man, I noticed you play basketball. Let's go play at the rec. So we go and play basketball. He's knocking on my door, pursuing me, knowing my name, seeing my hobbies, making a connection. Meanwhile, he's praying, God, would you use me? This guy doesn't seem to know Jesus. God, would you use me? I don't know how to talk to him. God, would you use me? He's from North Omaha. I'm from O'Neill, Nebraska. We don't have anything in common. God, would you use me? He's just praying. And uh, then we go out. He knocks on my door the next week, says, hey, man, you want to go to lunch? I just want to know your story. And he just processes my story with me. Some of my pain, some of my hurt, some of my fears, some of the things that my shame was tied to. And he's just sitting there in the cafeteria of a lunchroom on the campus processing my story with me. It didn't take me long to realize there was something different. Have you guys ever noticed the light of Jesus Christ in somebody else's life? It's drawing you in, isn't it? And I look at this guy and I'm saying, dude, you have joy, but you're not always intoxicated. <laughs> like most of the time people have joy. They've had a few. We can't laugh at that. Nobody's had a few. Okay. Well, all right. Great. Glad you've never had a few. All right. So, um, and not only that, but he's dating a girl, but walking in purity. Like I hadn't seen that. And um, every time he looked at me and I shared something I thought he would pull away from because it was kind of messy, he actually leaned in and he connected with and he shared his weakness and his need for Christ. And so, dude, I was like, dude, t- how do you live like this? And he just laid out the gospel. He says, Chris, here's the reality. You're not going to understand how I live until you understand how Christ has lived for me. And he just laid out that, listen, man, you're a sinner just like I am. You've rebelled against God who created you. And yet, here's the great news, that Jesus Christ, out of love for you, came from heaven to earth to seek and save you. And through his perfect sinless life, his death on a cross, and his resurrection, he's a purchased eternal life for you. And here's the reality. This is not just something for you to learn about, but you've got to respond to. And he said, Chris, would you turn from your sins, repent, and would you believe that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God? And uh, in that moment, I felt like Jesus himself was calling me to follow him. And I said yes to King Jesus. And that was the beginning of my journey. We got a photo of Cameron. Here's Cameron a couple of years later. He's a doctor now in Osceola, Nebraska. That's his wife, Trish. His four little girls. He actually has a fifth little girl on his back. And then he finally had a baby boy. He kept chasing that boy to the very end. And uh, he's a doctor, like I said, in Osceola. If you don't know where that is, think about Stromsburg. If you don't know where Stromsburg, go to York. If you don't know where York is, just think west of Lincoln, okay? Some of you guys need to look at a map. But I'm so blessed and so thankful for Cameron. Um, but I'm also blessed, and I'm thankful that he actually is a doctor and mildly wealthy at this point in his life because look at all those college funds and look at all those wedding funds. So many wedding funds. God knew what that man needed. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ for medicine, amen? Okay, so... Thankful for Cam. And as I think about Cam, one of the cool parts of this story is last year he showed up to City Light Church with all of his kids and he was sitting over to the side of the stage. I preached, came back down and, and I just got to explain to his kids that I get to tell my kids about Jesus because their daddy taught me about Jesus. Cameron not only shared the gospel with me, but walked with me that first year, taught me how to read my Bible, okay? Sat me down, got me into a Bible study, took me to my first church, Bible-believing church in Wayne, just a few godly saints, not a big flashy thing, Man, but some good godly people watched me get baptized, invited me to be a part of his wedding. This dude cared for me, and it absolutely mattered. And church, I just want to ask you, who's been the Cameron in your life? Who moved towards you? 
Who prayed for you? Who taught you how to read the Bible? Who, who, who was there for you when you were in a place of brokenness? Who called you out of some sin and into repentance so you could have and experience God's best? Who was that person? If it was a parent, praise God. Do you guys know that, that God, that's God's design for this whole thing? That we as parents would be the primary disciple makers of our kids? If that's your story, that's not a lame story. That's an awesome story. And I hope that that's my kid's story. If it was a college kid that moved towards you, awesome. If it was a college professor or a pastor, awesome. But at some point, God used somebody who said, I want to be more than just a follower of Jesus. I want to be a fisher of men. I want God to use my life. And you're here because somebody had that posture. Amen. That matters. So um, a couple things. One, I just want to say at City Light, I don't want to just celebrate um, what God has done in my life. I want to press this into our church. Okay. And so you have to understand from the very beginning, corporately as a church, our mission has never been bigger budgets and nicer big buildings and bigger crowds. All of that stuff makes us scratchy, okay? I don't know how to do those things. Those are challenging. From the very beginning, our prayer at this church five years ago was what? Our mission statement is this, to make and multiply disciples of Jesus and churches. We want to multiply disciples of Jesus and churches. That's the scorecard. That's it. And why do we plant churches? It's not to push out a brand. It's to say, People meet Jesus in churches. It's amazing when the gospel is preached. That's been our mission. From the very beginning, our dream has been, what if as a church, we didn't just hang out one hour a week together and sing songs, but what if we actually empowered you guys to live on mission in the places you live, you work, and you play? Not so that a few people would listen to some sermons by paid professionals, but so that the whole church, you, the people of God, would become fishers of men, and real people would encounter the love of Jesus Christ through your lives. That's been the heartbeat. City Light, we don't want to be a church that moves away from people who don't believe like us. We want to move towards people who don't believe like us. We want to make radical invitations into relationship, into community, and ultimately, we want to be people who say, hey, church, we're not settling for an unbiblical version of Christianity, where it's okay for you to sing songs, show up, give a few dollars, eat some donuts, and never actually pray for somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus Christ. Church, can we leverage our lives like these men? 2,000 years later, we're still sitting in this church talking about this Jesus, talking about the hope that we have in eternal life and the forgiveness of sins because these men were faithful to the mission and ministry that Jesus Christ gave them. They were disciples that made disciples that made disciples that made disciples and were just a few generations downstream from these original disciples. And I just don't want the buck to stop with us. I think in 2019, what if we don't just look back at what God has done through our church, but if we said, guys, in 2019, wouldn't it be amazing if we had fresh stories? Stories of people who are far from Jesus that have met Jesus this year because you guys prayed for them. What, what if we had stories of teenagers that came to Christ, college kids that came to Christ, people stuck in rebellion coming to Christ, people who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but honestly stagnant in their faith, maturing in their faith in Christ, that we would make new disciples and mature existing disciples. What if that was our story in 2019? I wanna call us to live for something that actually matters beyond our lifetime, that we wouldn't settle for just being fitter, and better well-read, and a little bit wealthier, but we would say, man, Jesus Christ, would you use me? Would you use me to be a fisher of men? I want to be a part of your redemptive work. And God, here's who I am. Have you ever prayed this prayer? Have you ever got honest with him? Jesus, here's who I am. I'm simple, and I'm messy, and I'm insecure, and I'm broken in a lot of ways. But God, you have permission to do whatever you want in my life. Would you use me? I actually want to see people that are lost be found. God, would you use my mouth? Would you use my life? Would you use my money? Would you use my home? Would you use my broken story? Would you use me in all of my simplicities to make great 
the name and fame of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm just so confident. If we would pray that prayer, that Jesus Christ would use us in a mighty way this year. Amen? Amen. Let me close with this. Two practical steps I want to give you guys. Number one, if you're not yet in a city group, would you join one? City groups matter. They are communities of disciples living on mission to make and mature other disciples. And so if you're not yet in a city group, I just want to say join one. If you're in a city group and you're kind of just hanging out, eating meals together, get on mission, start serving, start praying for people, start inviting people in, okay? Uh, I, I want to call all of us as a church. This is Jesus' primary way he made disciples is in community and he took them on mission. And so the same thing we want to do at City Light Church is say, listen, if we're going to be fishers of men, we're going to have to do this thing together in the context of community. Number two, I just want to say, would you pray that prayer that I just prayed out loud? That you guys would say, God, who do you, who do you want me to use this year? So um, for me, the mission of God, this idea of being a fisher of men, it's not just a theology or a theological process principle. Can I just tell you guys, it's got a real name, a real face, and a real story, and a real location. So for me, I'm on mission in Bennington, Nebraska, all right? And uh, I just moved there this last year, and right now we started a new city group, and we have more non-Christians in our city group than we have Christians. Just last week, we were literally in a living room of a friend, and I was drawing out the difference between the gospel and religion, between things that say do for God versus what God has done for you. And I'm just explaining what has Jesus done, and what does it matter to trust in him? And they're asking me all the questions, why is Jesus the only way, and what about other world religions? And we're just having those conversations in my city group. It was amazing. Additionally, um, I'm on mission in Bennington through basketball. Okay, so I am the head coach of a six-year-old basketball team. I have a whistle, okay? It's a very, very big deal. And um, do I get paid? No, but someday I might get like a gift card at the end of the season from a parent, okay? And uh, I just want you guys to know we're undefeated. Now, we haven't played any games, but we are still, for the record, undefeated. Now, that's, that's where I'm going. Now, I'm living on mission uh, to some of the guys that I get to coach basketball with and some of the dads that I get to coach their kids. And so um, I just want you to know that's my prayer this year, that God would use me um, in a significant way to be a part of their stories. They would meet Jesus and move from fans to Jesus to followers of Jesus. Amen? And I want to ask what God would God do through you guys? Who's your who this year? Who's on that list? Who are you inviting in? Who are you going to have over for dinner? Who are you going to listen to their story? Who are you praying for? Man, I just want you guys to know that Jesus Christ can use you for something bigger than yourselves. To do more than just build your own little kingdoms and your own little lives of comfort Jesus Christ could actually use you to impact somebody else's story in a radical way. I'm here today because a guy named Cameron Sidek, who's kind of nerdy, is super into biology, had the courage to move towards a kid from North Omaha and tell him about Jesus Christ. It mattered. And I want to say, man, wouldn't it be beautiful if people came to your kids and said, it mattered that your mom and dad told me about Jesus. Amen? Let me pray right now. Jesus, thank you for this day. I want to say I'm so grateful for your grace on my life and the way that you've sought and served me the way that you've saved me, the way you've forgiven me. And Jesus, as I just think about this command to follow you, I want to pray that over our church, that folks in this room, we really would follow you, bringing every area of our lives under your leadership, our finances, our bodies, our marriages, our parenting, our work life, that God, we would follow your lead into integrity and mercy and justice, grace, love, but that God, we would just do more than just follow you and play church but Jesus, we would actually live on mission. God, would you release this church into this city that, God, we would move towards those who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. God, there's hurting people, people in despair and broken relationships, stuck in shame and addiction. And God, your means to advancing the kingdom and allowing people to experience the life that you have for them 
is God's people. And so, Lord, we are just an ordinary group of folks, and yet we give you permission to do what you want through our church, through us as individuals. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Right now we're going to take communion.